Hello! Hello! Hi! Hey, what are you doing here? Hey, uh, welcome to The Word on the Hill. With the Lanky Guys, my name is Scott Allen. And that doctor over there is a doctor? That's the one. Doctor? Doctor. Doctor. Not the kind that helps people medically. The Um, other kind. Yep, uh, I mean... And, And who are you? Do we have a doctor on the plane? Yes. <laughs> There's a doctor of philosophy stands up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can help you work through some some reasonable some, solutions. Yeah, maybe. Who uh, are you? My name's Father Peter Mussett. Hi, Father Peter Mussett. Yep. Good to have a priest here. Yep. Just in case. That's who you want on the plane. That's not the doctor. Yeah. You know, like, do you know that every once in a while I'll sit in my seat and I'll practice how I would, uh, and I'll rehearse in my mind how I would do general con- absolution for the plane? Uh, I did not know that, but yeah, I'm yeah. thrilled that you... It's good to know that when you're on a plane, there might be a priest who's doing that. Yeah. Like, you know what? It's just handy. It's like an insurance policy. Yeah. I would just get up and I would I would say to the um, the stewardess or the steward, I would say, um, excuse me, I'm a priest. Um, if we're going down, can I give general absolution over the, the intercom? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think they would say to that? I don't know. I should ask someone sometime. There's no atheists in foxholes or crashing planes. Yeah, I mean, so it could it could go quite well. I mean, I think it could cause a tremendous panic. Oh yeah, I mean, but you know, you got to weigh what's more important. Yeah, I mean, at what point do you do it? I think. Um, do you know any priests who've jumped the gun on something like that? <laughs> <laughs> it's just turbulence, Father. Just turbulence. Yeah, I mean, I'm just curious. I'm just curious. That because I've never heard those stories, father, and I really want to know those stories for cocktail parties. Fathers who uh, who are listening right now, <laughs> if any of you know. Please be in contact with us and uh, and and tell us that story because oh. I want to know all the details. And we know you're not going to say it was you, so you can tell us about your quote unquote friend, friend priest who, who did this thing. jumped the gun. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, hey, we're um we're into Pentecost here. Speaking of things falling, the let fire? the fire fall. That's, hmm. Let the fire fall. Let the fire fall. Do you if know? I that- didn't know better. I'd know. I'd think that you were a stupid little grad. I um I was I was hanging out on the porch this morning enjoying the sunrise. The porch or the deck? The porch. The porch. And a big truck came up and just from like the tone of the music, I couldn't make out really any notes. I knew it was praise Commercial music. Commercial truck or personal truck? Personal truck. Okay. Yeah, it was like wow. praise music blaring from a workman's little, truck. Little K Love in the morning. Little K Love, dude. Dude, I listened to K Love this morning coming into work. Did you? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie, I confess that. Dude, when you need K-Love, you need K-Love. You know what? Amen to that. I will stand by that. And there's a lot of days I need K-Love. Yeah, dude. You're just like... And I'm, really... I'm, o- I'm okay with that. I'm okay with admitting that. It always makes me feel a little bit holier. It, it As it should. It's a little good. It's positive know? and encouraging. Positive and encouraging. K-Love. All right. For Pentecost Sunday, which is the... You know, it's tempting to say this is the end of the Easter season, but this is kind of the climax of the Easter season. This is the pinnacle of the Easter. Well, I don't know if it's the pinnacle, because the climax would be the resurrection, I suppose. This would be the denouement. <laughs> What's that? What's this French? Denouement. Uh, just pretend I don't know French. The conclusion. <laughs> but not the, it, conclusion in the sense of, like, it's over. But, like, you know, the it's, end, the big it's, ending. It's, spoiler alert, <laughs> Frodo... Going to the Grey Havens. Oh, Fro- I was—I don't know why, but when you said Frodo, I thought Olaf. Oh, and I didn't know where you were going. Yeah, yeah, yeah Olaf yeah. going to the Grey Havens along with Gandalf and Samwise and Anna. 
and, and Elsa. Anna and Elsa. Our first reading for this week. <laughs> I do not. I have not seen Frozen. I too. knew you hadn't, which is why. Sh- I'm just should trying I? Should to I? No. Should I just like? There's have... so many better options. Are Watch you... Cars three again. I have never watched Cars, Cars 3, three and not cried. It's. I don't so care who knows. Good. This is a very confessional podcast. I've yeah, told that's... you guys a lot. Yeah, we're in Pentecost. Our first reading is from Acts. Um, not body spray. Thank you for chapter the one, uh, verses one through eleven. One to eleven. All right. Um, our responsorial psalm is from Psalm one o four, verse one twenty four, twenty nine through thirty, thirty one and thirty four. With the response coming from thirty. Dude, I was reading a blog the other day that was talking about how the new breviary should actually have versicles and responsicles. What blog was this? It was, I mean, there's a deep blog. It's the one guy who writes about the renewal of the, the liturgy of the hours. Who is it? You're it's, just killing me. I'm dying. Uh, not if you have to pull it up. No, we don't have time. No, don't talk, don't talk to me like this. All right, this. well, while you're doing that, our second reading is coming from, first, well, there's two options, and we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 3b through 7, and then 12 through 13. Tom's Digest. Tom, it's called Tom's Digest. Tom's Digest. Uh, we, waited, we waited all that time for that. Don't talk to me like this. Sorry, it's a shout out to Tom's Digest. I don't want to insult Tom's Digest. <laughs> the, the only the person on the readers. face of the planet who knows anything that's going on with the translations of the new briefery. Fair enough. Is yeah. that his like tagline? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, what, we, what am I doing? Our gospel reading is coming from, you're going to miss them all, man. Did you do the second reading? I it, sure did. I've, we've never had this happen before. We have. You just didn't notice because okay. you were looking something Okay, up. rolling the dice, rolling the dice. Our gospel reading could come from one of two places. And we'll see which one we talk about. John 20 or John 15. Yes. So what are the options? John 20, 19 to 23, or John 15, 26 to 27, 16, 25, 15. Cumbersome. They're both, um, you know, it's funny. I sort of studied the first option and was really excited about it. And didn't really consider the second. Then I then I read the second. Well, usually, just because usually it's like, oh, th- there's one or the other that's like, oh, totally this one. This one connects the dots. Right. This is everything. These are both pretty darn good. Yes. And they both have a lot of, a lot of something something. So um, we'll see we'll see what happens when we get there. A lot of spicy sauce. A little spicy. A lot of uh, Chick Fil A sauce, which you can't get much of right now. Um, is that that's not spicy though? Is it? I don't know. I I'm just trying to it. segue into pickle juice. In okay, it. how can we get to hot fire? Acts of the Apostles. Um, Just like that. Speaking of fire. Oh, if you eat too much spicy stuff, you'll have tongue of fire. Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, okay. Pentecost. We are in Pentecost. A couple things we need to say about Pentecost, Father Peter. Okay. Uh, the primary one is this. Before Pentecost was a Christian feast as the conclusion climactic moment, whatever French term you used for the Easter season, it was, of course, a Jewish feast, which was also a conclusion of sorts, um, which is perfect. And the the, uh, the parallelism between the Christian feasts, the Catholic feasts, and the Jewish feasts that precede them and set the stage for them, sometimes they are so profound, it almost makes me want to cry. This was one when I, when I actually, <laughs> I've talked about crying twice so far on the podcast, but this was one when I actually put all the, or had the pieces put together 
for what Pentecost was in the Old Testament mindset and saw what was happening here, I actually did tear up the first time I actually realized the fullness of what was going on because we talk about how all of the things in Scripture point to Jesus and everything points ahead. You know, all of the old points to the new and all the new is concealed in the old and all this stuff. But this was one of them that just sounded a little obscure to me. And then I saw how deeply God had embedded this in. I was like, are you kidding me? So all that is to say, uh, this is really cool. So, so here's what Pentecost was in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. So uh, Leviticus, I think, 23 actually lays out all seven of the Jewish feasts in which their calendar sort of revolves around, right? Um, Pen- Pentecost, so it comes from the word 50. And I think the common assumption is that Pentecost comes 50 days after Easter, right? Yes. Uh, sorry, that is true. That's absolutely true. The, assumption, <laughs> the common assumption is okay. exactly what you think, but, but there's more. Another assumption is that Pentecost comes 50... You are Sunday. killing me right now. <laughs> but the other common assumption is that Pentecost comes 50 days after Passover, which is not true. Right, I know that. And the reason it doesn't come 50 days after Passover is that at Passover time, there are three Jewish feasts kind of smushed into one. And I don't know if we have an equivalent sort of in the in the Christian feast. It's maybe that you know, certain feasts show up within seasons or something like that. But so you have Passover, which falls in the midst of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a multi-day feast in which we remember the Exodus time when we, you know, we didn't have enough time because we were waiting for God to set us free from slavery. And so we couldn't put yeast into the bread and let it rise or leaven into the bread. And so we're remembering this hardship. And then, you know, Passover, of course, is the the, the climax of this event where we sacrifice the lamb. And we remember when God set us free from Egypt and all the stuff. But just after that, a couple days later, there's another feast called the Feast of First Fruits, which I think we've talked about before, probably, right? Isn't it they go out at dawn and then they yes, are looking yes, yes. for the first fruits and then they bring it back and yeah. they sing in triumph? It's kind of like the first thing is risen from the ground because it's kind of like our uh, natural equivalent of the resurrection. Yeah. Well, well done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you left nothing. Is, is that left what it is? For me. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but the reason that's important, so in, in according to um, the, the uh, Leviticus 23 and the Talmud are all a little bit unclear about exactly when this feast falls, and it partially because this feast has all but been lost to history. It's not really celebrated anymore. It kind of got merged in and blended with Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it's a particularly agrarian feast, so it's hard to quite know how to celebrate it nowadays. But... Um, yeah, so it's it's regulated to be celebrated on the day after the first Sabbath after Passover. The day after the first Sabbath after Passover. Which would put it on Sunday. And in this year, it would have been Easter Sunday, which is the first day. Sabbath is on Saturday. And the first Sabbath after Passover would have been the Saturday before Easter. So on that morning, what was required, and, and you said it was there was little children that would camp out basically at the peripheries of the fields. And it was it was the time of the year when nothing had quite come out of the ground yet. The harvest hadn't started. And they would go and they would camp out. They would wait for the dawn. They would scan the field to find the first thing that came out. And when they found it, there was children called the Mahama, is what the, the Talmud says. And we're not exactly sure who those are. Maybe the families or the priests were not positive. But they would run out into the field, they would dig up the first shoot of anything that they saw, and they would have this beautiful procession into Jerusalem and into the temple, and then the high priest would take this little sheaf, which was the great sign of the world coming back to life, which was the sign of what was to come. It's not the fullness, it's the first fruits, right? And it was pointing toward the fulfillment and the, the what was to come, and he would take this sheaf, usually of barley, and he would wave it before the Holy of Holies, held in his hands like this, which you guys can't see, 
but he would hold it like our priests hold the host before the altar. And he would wave it back and forth. It's called the wave right, um, which not like the wave at a football stadium. But I mean, but you could if you there could. was a lot of priests and a lot of chiefs. But yeah, that, there's only that's not how a lot of priests, it. a lot of chiefs. Um, but all of that is to say this great day of celebration of something coming back from the dead from the earth was not simply about itself. It pointed ahead 50 days to the Feast of Pentecost when what started on the Feast of First Fruits would be brought to fruition, would be brought to conclusion in this abundant way of overabundance of crops and food and celebration and wine and bread and feasting and all the stuff that Pentecost was. So Pentecost was one of the, the biggest, most celebratory of all the Jewish feasts. And so the reason that the disciples are all back together is that you're required by law to go back to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. So it's, what, like a month and a half after Easter, all this stuff has happened. They've seen Jesus risen from the dead. They don't understand what's happening. They've literally, what they've been given on Easter is this little tiny sheaf. They've seen Jesus. They can't quite grasp him. Remember, he, they can't hold on to him because he's elusive and he keeps kind of passing through walls and like going over here. And he's with them throughout these 40 days leading up to the ascension, which was last week, nine days ago. But, you know, he's, 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 he's elusive still, and it's not the fullness of what's to come. So he's embodying the Feast of the Sheafs of First Fruits. But now, 50 days later, lined up perfectly with the entire Jewish calendar, which was how the Jews were meant to catechize, this happens. And we step into the—we're not in the upper room necessarily, right, does it say? It just says when the time for Pentecost was fulfilled, they were all in, in one house. place together. Yeah, yeah or in the house together. Which there's a there's a school of thought that we're not in the upper room anymore because it's been a month and a half. They probably don't still have the, you know, they had to turn the keys in at some point, right? I don't think right. they're still in the upper room. We don't even know whose room that was for Pete's sake. So they're somewhere gathered together, right? And I just, I, I love thinking about what that scene would have been like, right? When you when you finally get back together with people that you're close with and and you've been kind of separated from to some degree and you've gone through something really intense and you're hopeful but still kind of confused and you're like, oh, what do you guys think? Like, how was it bad? You know, some of them went home, some of them stuck around, some of them were, you know, scattered somewhere else. And now they're all back together, which is something kind of beautiful that they all sort of are together again, which is really beautiful to, to think about the humanness of this moment on some level. Oh yeah, and I mean, I like it in the Greek. the The word that they're using for all being in the same place, it says they were in one accord. Yeah, in the same place. That doesn't come in the next section because it must say that twice. That's cool. And during the accomplishing of the day of Pentecost, they were all with one accord in the mm. same place. That must be a big Honda Accord, dude. Seriously, <laughs> Sorry. I actually saw somebody driving an Accord the other day. And was it I was Father like, Brady Wagner? It was Father Greg Peterson, oh. actually. Yeah, and I was like, I was like, and they were all in one accord. <laughs> Did you say that? I in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you've told the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I, I just love the the the. the it's not just that they're gathered, but that they're in it. Like, yes. Like right. the, 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 there's there's this sense of harmony that they are possessing. Do you think I I wonder, and there's no way to know this, the side of heaven, I suppose. Do you think they have any semblance of of maybe wondering like it's Pentecost? This is the feast that's all about things coming to fruition. This is the feast that's all about what started at one point now coming into full harvest. I wonder if they. If even what the all in one accord, I, I just wonder if they had any sense of like, 
I bet something's going to happen today. You know, there's, we always have those days, where like maybe it's a holiday or the family's together. And you're like, I feel like something's going to happen today. You know what I mean? I just yeah. wonder because they know their liturgical calendar. They've been catechized through their liturgical calendar. And this is the day that things happen. And the other thing that Pentecost celebrates, aside from bringing to fruition the harvest, was the bringing to fruition of God's word. And they also celebrate it. Nobody knows exactly when this was added to the feast, but they celebrate the giving of the Torah, the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, which was in a certain sense, the fruition of God revealing himself to us in the old Testament. Now he gives us his word. Well, it's the fruition of the feast of loaves. Tell me more. They had to. Do oh, it. yeah, the unleavened bread. The unleavened bread. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Absolutely. The piece of loaves is is the law. Is like okay, yeah. He 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 did. I was a little loath to uh, catch up to you. Oh, uh, that's. See, uh, I tried to be like you. Yeah, that was that's hard to do. You know, God, um, God made me only me, and I try to be like you. There is a tradition. Again, I keep going back to the Talmud. The Talmud is this documents we have of all of the traditions, liturgical traditions surrounding Israel, and the Talmud tells us that uh, originally. The high priest in the temple were to offer two loaves of barley before God, before the Holy of Holies. But some point in history, we don't know when, throughout the course of time, by the time of Jesus, the high priest would often offer uh, 12 loaves of bread. Really? Held high in the wave ritual before the Holy of Holies, before the presence of God is our offering back, representing, of course, the 12 tribes of Israel. Right. And so now we have the 12 apostles who are now gathered in this room among the 120 of disciples who are all there together. 12 out of 120 is a perfect tithe, which become then the offering in a certain sense of the church back to God, which God readily receives, activates, and then turns out into the world. So gosh, yeah, they're together and- And it gets windy. And it gets, you know, it was really interesting the the way in which it's it, it sounds in Greek. Mm. Um, they were all in accord uh, with, with with one accord in the same place, and suddenly out of heaven, a sound as rushing, like the word rushing, yeah. is is like um, uh, it, the way that all of these different dictionaries are defining it. It's it's almost like when a, a river is flowing intensely, it can pick up things. So it's yeah, it's almost like you. it has a sense of physics to it, where. The faster a body of water is moving, the more it can maintain um, particles and rocks and things. So, so like the the problem with a, a river that's flooding is that it can pick up gigantic rocks and move them. Right, absolutely. And so, or it, houses or Honda Accords. Or houses or yeah. Honda Accords, exactly. Honda's like, Accord. I'm not sure if it's like Cole's disac. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> and so so the the sound of the sound that's rushing is full of stuff yeah. it's, it, it, it has this like poetic <laughs> it's like got it and it says and it's and it's a violent breath or like a like a full um uh, uh moving uh hold on let's see actually i have to look up the, the way in which they say uh, um a strong it's mm. like a strong breath mm. filling the whole house so it's it's a sense of like it's picked stuff up because you know it's like when wind is so intense it can make a tornado it can yeah. throw cars and cows and accords and and houses cars and, cows and cords cars cows and cords and so like i i like that that sound must have been so wild well it's funny that that's the direction you're taking with this because I this is I find this to be one of the most 
fascinating and confusing passages in the entirety of the Bible. That includes Isaiah, by the way, what? and Revelation. Because what we take this for granted because we've we've all heard it. Well, many of us have been going to Mass for any period of time. We've heard this a bunch of times. But it says, so let's go with what you said. There, there's this sound. There's this wind. It's, it's riotous. It's, you know, all the things that you just said. And then there appeared to them, what? Tongues. tongues which which if you look it up they're everywhere it's actually a tongue it's not like it's not like a met this is never used as a metaphor right. this is not a description tongues it's, are language language it's it's tongues speech, speech it's mouth it's yes it, exactly and what do the tongues look like what is uh, sorry what does the speech look like fire what does speech usually look like you're Nothing. looking at me with the exact correct. This is why I find this to be so fascinating and simultaneously confusing. I mean, the only there's, thing there's is, I could make image a, confusion here, right? And I was like, I was like, gosh, if I eat a lot of spicy food, I end up with a fire tongue. But then I'm like, hold on, but my tongue's never hot; it's always the rest of my mouth. I like, mm-hmm. like, even to that point, I'm like, I can't even make a good joke about like weird fire tongues. But the fact that you opened this section up talking about this wind that contains sound which now contains a voice, which contains speech. But the speech is so real, it looks like fire, which actually takes us back to the Exodus story. And Joseph uh, Philo, Philo of Alexandria, when he writes the commentary on the, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, he writes that apparently when the Ten Commandments were given to Moses and they looked up at Mount Sinai, remember they saw the clouds and the fire and the smoke, they said that they saw God's words speaking the commandments. And they said God's word. What do you mean you saw God's like words? Like a synesthesis? I don't know. I have no idea. But what it says in Philo is that his words were so real, they were so tangible that they looked like fire. They were visible. That's all we have from the tradition. But now all of a sudden, on the feast day that we remember all of that, there's God's voice again. And it looks like fire. And it's literally on their heads. What does voice look like? It doesn't look like anything, but God's voice is real and tangible. God's word is actually a person. So all of a sudden, even though the image confusion isn't necessarily cleared up, it begins to have categories in our faith. What do you mean God's word is embodied in a person? I don't know what that means, but that's who Jesus is. Now God's words are actually rushing through this room and they look like fire. They're all, so you you it's funny that there's there's equally useful but only one, you know, explicit images that you've brought up of a flood and of a fire, which is ironic because floods and fires, they're two things we experience in Colorado a lot. Right. And they're two things that are almost diametrically opposite, yes. but they have almost the same effect. If a fire rushes down a canyon and if a flash flood rushes down a canyon, it looks almost the same Mm. because the effect of carrying with, of consuming all of these things, that's right, which is exactly what we need for the next part of the reading, which is when they then go out and what do they do? They become the tornado. They become the flood. What do they do? They capture, they pick up people from every tongue and place and nation the Parthians and Medes and Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judeans, Cappadocians, Pontius, Asians, Pergamum, Pamphylias, all this, Cyrenes, they're literally the flood that is picking all of these people up saying, let's go together. The wind is captured. The wind is now embodied in the disciples 
and in the apostles, and they are capturing everything around them. Not in the destructive right. sense, right. but in the sense of the power of what's actually happening on this day. That's why I love your imagery of the flood, picking things up, because that's exactly what the church becomes, yeah. which is really cool. I'd never, I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah, I was the, thinking about language. And I, I mean, I keep on thinking about like, um, like what is it? I mean, it, that it divides and separates mm. and it consumes and it's going over all of them. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's like, uh, it's just such a fascinating way to like, see, I can actually like, it's funny. I don't know. Do you remember the eighties movie, the last dragon uh, with show enough? I'm gonna say no. Okay, Last Dragon. I really want to like, hang with you on that. Bruce Lee, Roy, like Bruce Lee, Roy, Bruce Lee, Roy, dude. And, and like, <laughs> there's and there's like the, that's the, a and, tough break. And Bruce Lee, Roy's trying to get the glow and like and so I don't know for some reason as we're talking about it, like like it's a whole different way that Let's I've ever follow seen the spirit, man. Pentecost follow come the spirit. over people. And then there's this bad guy show enough and show enough is like. He's like he's like the baddest guy in Brooklyn, and he just messes up his dad's pizza joint. It's and I like, would have pulled it off too if it wasn't for you meddling kids. What are you meddling kids? But yeah, I no, I I really like like how do you actually say what this is? Oh, I I have the answer to that. Okay, it's Psalm one hundred four. Well, America, but but check America. this out. The context of Psalm one hundred four. Psalm one hundred four is. Um, it's a hymn of praise of God as creator. It actually, um, it, it speaks of the glories of God's creation. It, it actually only mentions almost in passing human beings once. But it talks about the grandeur of God as creator and all the things that he creates. But here's what's cool. Even in the response itself, Lord, send out your spirit and renew the face of the earth. A lot of commentators think that Psalm 104 is sort of a recapturing or, a, or a, is leaning on its commentary in a certain sense, or a, a reflection, that's a better word. It's a reflection on Genesis chapter one, because this reminds us of creation when God's spirit goes out over the waters and begins to create. And, and the whole thing, even stanza by stanza, it's meant to evoke the creation story of Genesis one, which I knew and I was going to talk about today, but here's what I just thought of. Genesis 1, the whole creation account, is paralleled somewhere else in Genesis. And it's paralleled again in, I believe, Genesis 11, right after bum, ba, da, bum, a huge flood comes and wipes out the earth. And we have a new creation where God's spirit once again rushes forth over the face of now the watery chaos that will be recreated and fashioned into God's glorious creation. So in a certain sense, there are three major floods in the story of salvation history. There is the watery chaos that we see at the very beginning of creation before it has form and is filled. We have the flood of Genesis, which God recreates out of. And now in a certain sense, although I'm mixing my metaphors once again, we have the flood of the Holy Spirit, this mighty wind that begins to capture all of these people. Yeah. And God's Spirit is front and center, foremost hovering over this reality every single time. So in a certain sense, Psalm 104 is giving us all of the reference points that we need for the typology to make sense of Pentecost. Mm. And then what do they do? Yeah. Which it doesn't say here, but what do they do? They find a massive body of water and baptize 3,000 people. Is that a coincidence? No, absolutely not. Because that's God's spirit and water 
throughout the course of salvation history always go together. This is how God brings order out of chaos, through his spirit and through water. This is Pentecost. This is our takeaway. Right? Yeah. Am I, I'm just thinking out yeah. loud, but I'm like, this is kind of cool. Yeah. It's, it's, I keep coming back to Nathaniel Ratliff's first band, <laughs> Born in the Flood. And his band is called? Born in the Flood. The Night Sweats. Well, that's the new it's one. It's all water. Oh, that's the new one. Well, still water. The night sweats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's funny. Born in the flood into the night sweats. I that's think a that's a little bit of a diminishment. Of- yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, well, sometimes that's the life of faith, isn't it? Yeah. Go from the flood to the to the night sweats. <laughs> I don't. This is, I, getting I, weird. this is getting real weird. No, I, I like the this. What I love is that it's the, this flood is not actually destroying what was because God's commitment yeah, yeah, in, right. was to say I will never I will never do this but again it is destroying what it, what was. He doesn't do it in the same way. He never says that things won't be destroyed anymore. So what is destroyed in this flood? Our sinful nature. It mm. dies in the waters of baptism because the waters of baptism are actually destructive. They're simply destructive to our sinful fallen nature so that we can come back to life. The flood is still wiping out what needs to be wiped out. Mm. But what's wiped out is not the good of creation. It's the evil of sin. So, I mean, wow. just saying. Wow. Which does kind of take us into our second reading. Which is what? <laughs> First, which one? First Corinthians, let's say. Okay, not because you could do Galatians if you wanted to. You could do Galatians, but we're not going to. But if, you, but if you're smart, you'll do First Corinthians. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, I'm just kidding. That's like... That's I just think it's the cleanest um, continuation of this narrative thread because... Because of the baptism? No, that's... I mean, that's just like the icing on the cake. That's the cherry on top, man. But look at how it starts. So, by the way, First Corinthians, we're in chapter 12. First Corinthians, the problem in Corinth, fundamentally, even though there's a whole bunch of sin in Corinth... The fundamental problem is division. They're all divided, and they're rallying around different personalities. Not the Corinthians, but the church in Corinth is right. divided among who's better or who's aligned with who or who follows the better teacher and all this different stuff. And so Paul is desperately trying to reunite and make them see the not just the nice niceness, but the the ascent the um the essentialness of actually being united and. In his famous section in chapter 12 about, you know, the the body, Christ is one body, but there are many parts. And if I'm a toe, then you're a toenail. And, you know, this guy's an armpit. You know, he doesn't, he only chooses the good, the good body parts to, for his analogy. But, you know. I mean, I like my armpit. Armpits are fine. Um, I don't quite see what they do, but uh, 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 you're getting me far. Okay. But what does he say? Brothers and sisters, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Which I almost wonder, at least in the liturgical mind of the church, if this is a commentary, in a certain sense, an explanation of what's going on in the first reading. What's happening in the first reading? The Holy Spirit shows up. It's lit up. They're literally lit. It's like fire. And they go out and they make proclamations to all of these ethnically and linguistically divided peoples. And then all of a sudden you have 1 Corinthians. Nobody can say Jesus is Lord by the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit leading them to do in the first reading? To proclaim that Jesus is Lord, which is doing what? It's unifying these 3,000 people that will all receive baptism. Which, which is so interesting because the, the place where the word tongue is mentioned the most in Scripture is 1 Corinthians. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, like 20 times? That's too many tongues. 
that's a lot of tongues. Yeah, no, because because he, he's saying like, okay, what is confession? What is this? This is actually yes. flowing as a gift of the spirit. And then yeah. how is language used? And then uh, yeah. and then how do you interpret language? And then what's these obscure languages? And who is this meant for? And how is the Holy Spirit working in this particular tongue? And like, and he's saying at the core of this, it is for the explication of Jesus as Lord. I or am or simply the proclamation. It needs to be explained. Yes. But it's both. Right. Because, because, and I say that just because I think sometimes I, most of us, we just overcomplicate it a little bit. And we forget that there's a whole lot of people just waiting outside of the, the, the upper rooms of our lives that just need to be told, hey, did you know Jesus was Lord? They're like, I didn't know that. I mean, sometimes we over, there's complications and catechizing and evangelizing the world is difficult and it's complicated, but sometimes I think we underestimate the power of God to just walk out our doors and be able to proclaim to the people in our lives the truths of reality with the understanding that if God so moves, he can lead them to be like, yeah, bring it on. Tell me more. Right? Right. right. And that's what I think one of the things Paul is saying is that one of the things that's dividing the Corinthians is not simply personalities, not simply who they're following, but People thinking they're better than others because, well, I have this particular gift and I'm better at that thing and I'm a better prayer than you are and I have a better podcast than you do. And I, you know, they're all big on these gifts. And I think, in a certain sense, not to diminish the actual gifts of the Holy Spirit, which have very distinct manifestations, and I believe. But on another level, I think Paul is saying there's a pretty profound gift of the Spirit to simply give you a mouth able to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. That's not some extraordinary grace or gift that only certain people receive. That is a gift of the Holy Spirit given to every single one of us by virtue of our baptism to proclaim Jesus is Lord to the world. Don't overcomplicate it. And if God gives you other ways in which those gifts are manifest, praise be to God. Mm. But don't forget that there's a pretty fundamental gift of tongues that we all have, Mm. which is that we have a mouth to proclaim that because we are baptized. And that, and, and though the body is has is one, it has many parts, but yes. we all have one. Exactly. And we have two ears and one mouth, so we should listen twice as much as we talk. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but then he also keeps giving that commentary on the first reading. For in the spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Whether we're Jews or Greeks or slaves or free persons, you could almost keep reading in Cappadocians or Lycians or Asians or Pergamums, like all the things in the first reading. They really do parallel each other in a pretty profound way. Paul is making sense out of our access to what happened in the first reading. Which like, you guys have this. Which, if we're using the flood analogy, oh, okay, gives us an opportunity to all drink oh. of the one spirit. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nicely done. Yeah, see how that works. I do. And then there's a sequence. Sequence. A sequence. Yes, which is not scriptural. So, there so I don't care. No, I'm just kidding. I do care. I'm just joking. That's- Spiritus, spiritus. That's not how that goes. Venesante spiritus. Come, Holy Spirit. You're not even close. They, <laughs> you, keep, you keep reverting to let the fire fall. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Well, I wanted to talk about John 20. You wanted to talk about John 15. So, I, well, you know, I I say we start with <laughs> I say we start with 20, and then oh, I I can be real quick. And what I want to say about well, 20. I actually really, I just liked John 15. I didn't, I was actually going to see what you were going to say. Well, I can so say I was going to comment on what I can you always say stuff, man. Let's just say things. Okay, well, here's all I want to say about John 20. John okay. 20 is the scene uh, on the day of the resurrection. Yeah, it is. It's Easter Sunday. So we're kind of a flashback 
in, in the Gospel of John, you know, earlier this month, last month. No, I mean, in terms of Pentecost. Anyway, okay. Uh, on, on the evening of the first day of the week, on Easter Sunday, the doors were locked. They were up in the upper room or, or wherever they were. They're scared. They're locked in. Everything's crazy. Their Messiah was just put to death. They're afraid that people are going to come and get them. They're afraid of the Jews. And it says Jesus, all of a sudden, he... Uh, um, uh, oh, dang it. He... What's the thing on Harry Potter when they can just appear in rooms in different places? Apparated. He apparated into the room. <laughs> if, if I hadn't had to think about that, that would have been funnier. That would have um, been funnier. But... Anyway, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. And he said this. He showed them his hands in his side just to remind them, it's not just that I have a body. It's that I have the body. There is, I, I was actually, I, wasn't, I was surprised to be as struck by that line as I was this morning um, in terms of, there is one body of Jesus of which we are all part. And it was important for Jesus to not just be like, look, I have a body again. I'm back. Look, I have the body, the one singular incarnate body of the Lord that walked with you, that ministered to you, that called you out of your boats, that now 2,000 years later, we still share at the Eucharistic table. One body, which is... I don't know why, I don't even know if that's making sense, but it just struck me that Jesus is very concerned with showing them it's the same one. It doesn't, I am unchanging. There is one incarnation and my body is my body and you are now a part of my body and you get to feast on my body. And that was all the stuff that I thought was beautiful. Um, so the disciples are flipping out, they're rejoicing. And Jesus said, peace be with you as the father has sent me. So I send you when he had said this, he breathed and said to them, breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy spirit who sins you forgive are forgiven them and who sins you retain are retained. This is the classic, um, I want to say apologetic, but this is the classic sort of evidence that we would say for the gift of confession, the sacramental confession that the priests receive the authority to perform, which is they receive here. It comes to the apostles. But the other thing that I, I've, I, I'm always confused by this, and I've never quite gotten a straight answer. Talk to me. Were the disciples baptized in water? Uh-huh. See? Welcome to my world. Um, I tend to think no. Because, sorry, I could let you answer. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I've never asked that question. I thought I've asked. Maybe I haven't. I've, I've mulled on this many times. It, when once you start... I might have broken your brain because once you start thinking about it, you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> That's... Well, no, I mean, the, but if if we actually don't have a record of it. Of course. I, I mean, unless the part of that was the 3,000 that we actually see on the day of Pentecost. But they're doing it. They're performing them. Exactly. You don't actually have to we, be. That's actually part of the doctrine of the church is that I could ask somebody else to baptize oh, for sure, me for sure. who is unbaptized. Yeah, for sure. Well, here's why I think But then if they're doing that for everybody else, why would they be like, well, I'm, I'm exempt? Well, here's why I think... It's interesting. Well, I, I don't know the answer to the question. So I don't I don't have the answer, you guys. But what happens to us at bat here's where we can get to it. What happens to us when we're baptized? We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? That's Sanctifying what, grace. Yeah, that's what baptism is. So the reason I lean toward no, at least in the water sense, is that they receive the effects of baptism here, right? They also receive the sacramental gift of confession. But this does seem to be the most specific explicit place where they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, which makes me wonder if this is kind of like their baptism, because that's what they receive. But then we also have Cornelius. Well, but this is later, but this is, that's in new, that's okay. So hold on to that. Okay. The reason this is important though, and follow my train of thought, because I could be off, but if this is when they receive the Holy Spirit, which is what typically in the normal train of sacramental events happens to us at baptism. Okay. 
uh, they don't stop being locked in the upper room. They don't stop being freaked out. They don't really do anything about it. They don't start hearing confessions or baptizing anybody until what? Pentecost. When the sacramental grace that they received of the Holy Spirit at this moment now becomes activated. And this is in large part Oh, because this is the first gets. day of the week. This is Easter Sunday. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I, I just yeah. was, yeah, no, I, yeah I had exactly. to process. You know oh, yeah, we're not Pentecost yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I was, I was, and then I was like, is he talking about the assumption? Then oh, I had I'm to sorry. Look at the reading. No, no, you probably said it. I just have a million things in my brain. So what do we have? We have the first fruits again. We go back to the Jewish liturgical calendar, oh. and on the first day of the week, on the Feast of First Fruits, the apostles receive the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. In no way diminished, not not real. It really is the Holy Spirit given to them, but that Holy Spirit given to them on this day, which just happens to be the day of the Feast of First Fruits, will be harvested, manifested, brought to fruition on the Feast of Pentecost which is precisely what the earth was doing, what the harvest was doing, what the liturgical calendar was doing, and what's literally happening in the hearts of the apostles, which is, of course, where the Catholic theology gets uh, our theology of confirmation, which is a confirmation and a fruition of what happens to us at our baptism that's now activated, which is why Pentecost is always sort of the classic day of confirmation or the day that we think about our confirmation or that we confirm people. Does that make sense? You know, it's it's actually really so they are the liturgical calendar manifest, right. and to and to go and bear fruit that will last. That yes. fruit actually is meant to grow over time. That there's right. that that agrarian reality, and because in a certain sense they're catechized, they receive it, and they don't quite know what they're doing yet. Finally, it actually like so then they're sealed, which is which is interesting because it actually here's another analogy. Okay. Um, which is the pottery analogy. Okay. So pottery is clay. You wet it down. You shape it. Then you. Merry fi- Christmas, Mr. Potter. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Mr. Sorry. Potter. That was running in my head. Um, so it's the first. So so what happens is you bisque fire. So a bisque fire is the is the first hardening. Okay. But then what ends up happening is that you actually have to glaze. You have to decorate. You do it. You let it prepare, yes. and then yes. you then you actually have to do a high fire. You actually have a second firing, which then because the bisque fire it's still porous, it's actually very breakable, um, and so until the second high firing, which then it becomes impermeable, it is actually able to bear water. It's actually mm-hmm. able to 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 um to be sealed. It's actually useful after its second firing. The bisque. No, after the second bisque. Yeah, you could put bisque in after the bisque and the high fire. What but you, you can't put bisque a in at the bisque. to dip in it. Yeah, exactly. In your bisque. Okay, uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, no, that, like, that's, cool. that's really that's beautiful. That's really cool. But, but then it, there, there's this whole preparation in this catechesis for this thing that's given. Yes. Until finally then you're activated. It's kind of like yes. seminary. <laughs> well, yeah, totally. It's like the, totally the, right. the, the 40, days and, uh, 40 days until the ascension and then the nine days and then... You know, you do your fi- your silent retreat until you actually get ordained, and then the church is ordained to actually do its ministry. And then you can go to work. Then you can go to work with your oil, your wheat, and your grapes. Yeah, and your water. Your water. That's the other element that's always yeah, yeah. present in all these feasts. Mikvah baths. Well, yeah, or that's the baptism of the of the first reading. Oh, yeah, the baptism, yeah. born in the flood. Yep. Yeah, dude. Well, you guys, thank you. We want to let you know the results of our our tremendous um, uh, uh, live podcast. We met our goal. You guys. We exceeded our our goal. goal. Sorry, you guys exceeded our goal. 
Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. And I, you guys, thank you so much for your profound outpouring of love for my ordination and my congratulations of being 15 years in. And like, it really, those blessings and those prayers make an absolute difference in Mm. my life. Like I cannot tell you. So I just am so thankful and I'm thankful for your generosity. Um, some of you, extraordinary generosity and uh, some of you, extraordinary generosity in ways that we actually don't know because of this tremendous sacrifice you made to be able to actually support us. So yes. it just, it, it helps us to remember that there's not just a couple of cats out there that accidentally stepped on the uh, the <coughs> keyboard. <coughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that you guys are just actually cool cats who uh, who have uh, decided to listen um, on your runs, doing your laundry, walking taking your notes, cat, walking your cat, changing the litter box, yep, milking the cats, you know, okay. like all those sorts now of things. We've like taking a turn. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you guys are absolutely wonderful. So thank you for the goal. It it continues to allow us to do new things. Yes. Um, to uh, reach more people and to continue the work of the gospel and the spreading of the this beautiful word that, uh, that tells people what their destiny really is and to uh, you know to lift up bishops to lift up priests to lift up your friends and to lift up yourself and, Amen. and to praise and glorify and magnify Jesus Christ and all of his angels and saints unto eternity unto eternity I mean, now like, and forever amen <laughs> so we love you guys you went full liturgical on that <laughs> alright we'll see you next week you guys okay. happy Pentecost God bless you The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Uh, That is the way that we can grow and get the word out to more people. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week.